Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another wonderful and exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and narrator, Springheel Jack. And as always, I'd like to take this time to thank you for tuning in to another episode. Your support, your reviews, and your patronage mean the world to me. And I genuinely appreciate it. If you're easily offended, and this is your first time listening, I would encourage you to find a different show to listen to and spare me the negative reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen to podcasts. With no more further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to Anthology of Horror, ladies and gentlemen, a podcast that delves deep into the darkest corners of the human psyche to explore the terror and fear that lies within us all. Today's episode is dedicated to the horrors of the Civil War, not the upcoming Civil War of 2024, nay, the other Civil War, a time when brother fought against brother and the blood of countless soldiers was spilled on the battlefield. We'll explore the ghosts that haunt the war-torn landscape of uh, Gettysburg and Antietam, the horrors of POW camps like Andersonville and Camp Douglas, and the tragic fate of the orphans left behind by the war. But these stories are not just about the past. They are a reminder that the legacy of the Civil War still lingers in our society today, and that the wounds of that conflict are still healing. So sit back, turn down the lights, And let me take you on a journey into the heart of darkness as we explore the horrors of the Civil War on the Anthology of Horror podcast. July the 14th, 1861, Washington, D.C. Dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. And lest I should not be able to write you again... I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I am no more. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how American civilization now leans upon the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly with all those chains to the battlefield. The memory of all the blissful moments I have enjoyed with you come crowding over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I've enjoyed them for so long. And how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years, when God willing we might still have lived and loved together and see our boys grown up to honorable manhood around us. If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you. 
nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless, how foolish I have sometimes been. But oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they love, I shall always be with you in the brightest day and the darkest night. Always. Always. And when the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath, or the cool air, your throbbing temple. It shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. Sullivan Ballou was killed a week later at the first battle of Bull Run. So in order to fully illustrate this time period, I'm going to do my best to sum up and paraphrase what is one of the most complicated political atmospheres in American history. I'm not going to be able to cover every aspect of the Civil War, so bear with me. I'm, I'm picking out the major points and summing up the best I can. The American Civil War was a defining moment in American history, leading to the end of slavery and the preservation of the Union. However, the events leading up to the war were extremely complex, with tensions building for decades before the first shots were even fired. In this part of the episode, I'm going to attempt to explore the factors that contributed to the outbreak of the Civil War, including the underlying tensions that existed between the North and the South, and the reasons for the South's hatred of Abraham Lincoln. The roots of the Civil War can be traced back to the founding of the United States. At the time of the country's founding, there were already significant differences between the North and the South, particularly with regard to economics and social norms. The North was far more industrialized with a thriving manufacturing sector, while the South was predominantly agricultural, relying heavily on the labor of enslaved people. These differences led to a growing divide between the North and the South over the decades that followed. As the North continued to industrialize and modernize, the South remained largely unchanged, leading to a growing sense of resentment and distrust. In addition, the issue of slavery became increasingly contentious, with many in the North calling for its abolition while the South fought to maintain the institution. One of the key events that contributed to the outbreak of the Civil War was the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860. Lincoln was a staunch opponent of slavery, and his election was seen as a threat to the South's way of life. Many in the South believed that Lincoln's election would lead to the end of slavery, which they saw as an essential part of their economy and their culture. The South's fear of Lincoln was fueled by a number of factors, including, but not limited to, his support for the abolitionist movement and his refusal to compromise on the issues of slavery. In his inaugural address, Lincoln declared that he would not interfere with slavery in the states where it already existed, but he also made it clear that he believed slavery was morally wrong and that it shouldn't be allowed to spread to new states and new territories. The South's hatred of Lincoln was also fueled by a sense of cultural and political alienation. The South saw itself as a distinct region with its own unique culture and values, 
and many Southerners felt that their way of life was under threat from the growing power of the federal government. They resented what they saw as Northern aggression and interference in their affairs, and they felt that Lincoln represented the ultimate expression of this aggression. The American Civil War began officially on April 12, 1861, when Confederate forces fired on Union troops that were stationed at Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. The attack came after several states in the South had seceded from the Union in the wake of Abraham Lincoln's election as president. The election of Lincoln in 1860 had been a major source of tension between the North and the South, as I said. Lincoln was opposed to the spread of slavery to new states and territories, and many in the South believed that his election would lead to the end of slavery and the destruction of what they'd come to know as their way of life. So in response to his election, several southern states, including South Carolina, seceded from the Union and formed what was then known as the Confederate States of America. They believed they had the right to do so under the principle of states' rights which held that individual states should have the power to govern themselves as they saw fit. The situation at Fort Sumter began to escalate in the months leading up to the attack. The fort was located in the middle of Charleston Harbor, and the Confederates demanded that the Union troops stationed there surrender and abandon the fort. After several unsuccessful attempts to negotiate a peaceful resolution, the Confederate forces opened fire on the fort on April 12, 1861. The Union troops, outnumbered and outgunned, were forced to surrender after a two-day bombardment. The attack on Fort Sumter galvanized support for the Union cause in the North, and Lincoln called for 75,000 troops to be raised to put down the rebellion in the South. But by doing this, this led to several more southern states to secede from the Union, and the stage was set for a long and bloody conflict that would last for four years. Following the fall of Fort Sumter, both sides began preparing for a larger conflict. The first major, major battle of the war was the First Battle of Bull Run, which was fought on July 21, 1861, near Manassas, Virginia. The Union Army, commanded by General McDowell, was attempting to capture the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. However, Confederate forces, under General Beauregard and General Joe Johnson, repulsed the Union attack, resulting in a Confederate victory. The battle was significant because it demonstrated that the Civil War would be a long and bloody conflict, with neither side achieving a quick victory. It also showed that the Union Army was not as well trained or organized as the Union had thought, and it forced both sides to reevaluate their strategies and their tactics. As everybody in America knows, and most people that have studied world history and the rest of the world know, the Federal Army eventually won the Civil War, but for the first two and a half years of the conflict, they got their fucking asses handed to them more often than not. There were a number of factors that contributed to the Union Army's early struggles in the Civil War. One of the main reasons was that the Confederacy was far better prepared for war. The South had a smaller population than the North, sure, but it had a higher percentage of military-aged men and a strong military tradition. The Confederacy also had much more experienced military leaders, including Robert E. Lee, who was widely regarded as one of the best generals that America's ever seen. In contrast, the Union Army was poorly trained and lacked experienced leaders at the onset of the war. Many of its commanders were political appointees who had little or no military experience whatsoever. The Union also faced logistical challenges and nightmares as it had to mobilize and supply a much larger army than the Confederacy. However, the Union Army eventually began to turn the tide of the war in its favor. 
One key factor was the leadership of General Grant, who was appointed commander of all Union armies in 1864. Grant was a seasoned military leader who had achieved significant victories in the Western theater of war. He implemented a new strategy of war called Total War, in which he aimed to destroy the Confederacy's ability to wage war by targeting its infrastructure and its civilian population. Another important factor was the Union's ability to mobilize its economy for war. The North had a much more industrialized economy than the South, and it was able to produce and supply large quantities of war stuff, including weapons, ammunition, and clothing. The Union also instituted a draft, which helped to ensure a steady supply of new soldiers. Finally, the Union Army was able to leverage its advantage in its population to wear down the Confederacy through attrition. So essentially, the North was able to replace its losses in battle much more quickly than the South, which eventually led to the collapse of the Confederate Army. To this day, the Civil War is the bloodiest conflict in American history. The death toll of the Civil War far surpasses that of every other American conflict combined. But why is that, you might ask? Technological advances during the Civil War had a significant impact on the total number of dead. The war was fought at a time when new technologies were rapidly emerging, and both the Union and the Confederacy were quick to adopt these advances in an attempt to gain an advantage on the battlefield. One of the most significant technological advancements during the Civil War was the widespread adoption of uh, rifled muskets. These weapons were more accurate than the smoothbore muskets that had been used in previous wars, and they had a much longer range. As a result, Soldiers could engage their targets from a greater distance, which made it more difficult to charge across open ground. This led to a shift away from the traditional tactic of mass charges and a greater reliance on trench warfare and guerrilla tactics. Another major technological advancement of the Civil War was the use of artillery. The Civil War saw the introduction of new types of artillery, including rifled guns and breech-loading cannons, which were more accurate and had a greater range than the earlier models. Artillery was used extensively on the battlefield, and it was responsible for a large percentage of the casualties on both sides. The Civil War also saw the use of ironclad warships, which were armored and steam-powered. These vessels revolutionized naval warfare and helped to bring about a Union victory in the battle for control of the Mississippi River. In addition to these technological advances, the Civil War saw the use of new medical technologies, such as antiseptics and anesthesia, which helped to reduce the number of deaths from disease and infection. While advances in technology did indeed make a bit of a difference, medical care was still extremely limited, and hospitals were often overcrowded, unsanitary, and far understaffed. Many soldiers who were wounded or became ill during the war were treated in hastily constructed hospitals that were often located close to the battlefield. Civil War hospitals, typically located in public buildings, churches, and other large structures that could be easily converted into medical facilities, they were often staffed by volunteer nurses and doctors, as well as wounded soldiers who were deemed fit to perform light duties. Despite the challenges facing medical personnel during the Civil War, significant advancements were made in the field of medicine during this time. Medical professionals were able to improve their understanding of wound care and infection control, and they developed new surgical techniques that helped to save the lives of many soldiers. However, the conditions in the Civil War hospitals remained challenging, and many soldiers who were wounded or became ill died as a result of inadequate medical care. Diseases like dysentery, typhoid fever, and pneumonia were common in these hospitals, and the lack of proper sanitation and hygiene contributed to the spread of these illnesses. 
Civil War hospitals were a critical component of the medical care system during this time, but they were often overwhelmed by the sheer number of wounded and sick soldiers that they had to treat. The conditions in these hospitals were often harsh and challenging, but they also represented a critical moment in the history of medicine and healthcare in the United States. Yeah, just go to uh, just go to the county hospital in downtown LA. It still looks an awful lot like a Civil War triage site. While technological advances during the Civil War helped to make armies more effective on the battlefield, they also led to a significant increase in the number of casualties. The widespread use of rifled muskets and artillery in particular made it more difficult to advance on enemy positions, which led to prolonged periods of trench warfare and heavy casualties as a result. Because of this, the number of dead in the Civil War was estimated to be over 600,000 souls, making it one of the deadliest conflicts in American history. Another reason the conflict had such brutally high amounts of casualties was because both armies participated in what I mentioned before, and that's called Total War. For those of you that don't know, Total War is a military strategy that aims to destroy the enemy's ability to wage war by targeting not only their military forces, but also their infrastructure, their economy, and their civilians. During the Civil War, both the Union and the Confederacy engaged in Total War, which had a significant impact on the course and the outcome of the war. The Union Army, under the leadership of General Grant, implemented a strategy of total war in 1864. Grant believed that the Confederacy's ability to wage war depended on its ability to produce and supply troops and materials. Therefore, he sought to destroy the South's infrastructure and economy by targeting railroads, factories, and farms. Grant also ordered that his troops seize food and supplies from civilians, and he ordered the destruction of civilian property, such as homes and crops. He also did something that I kind of like, and that was he told General Sherman to recruit every able-bodied black man that he could that was enslaved in the South and, and let him join in the ranks to march to Savannah. And I think in doing so, they freed somewhere around 7,500 slaves and put them to work. The Union's total war strategy was controversial at the time, and it remains controversial today. Many historians argue that it was a necessary step to bring the war to a swift end, while others argue that it constituted a war crime and violated the principles of what's called just warfare. But as I said, the Confederacy also engaged in total war, although it did so at a lesser extent than the Union. Confederate forces targeted Union supply lines and infrastructure, and they destroyed bridges and railroads when they could. However, the Confederacy lacked the resources to engage in total war on the same scale as the Union, and its efforts were ultimately unsuccessful in turning the tide of the war. One of the most famous instances of total war was that of General Sherman's March to the Sea. The campaign took place from November to December 1864 and was one of the most devastating examples of total war in American history. Sherman's objective was to march his army from Atlanta to the port of Savannah, Georgia, destroying everything in his path and severing the Confederacy's supply lines. By doing so, he hoped to demoralize the Southern population and bring a quicker end to the war. Sherman's army consisted of about 60,000 soldiers and was known as the Army of Georgia. As Sherman's army marched towards the coast, it destroyed railroads, bridges, and all other infrastructure in its way, as well as seizing and consuming crops and livestock. Sherman soldiers were under strict order not to harm civilians on their property, but in practice they did cause significant damage to civilian homes and businesses. 
The campaign was highly successful from a military standpoint, as Sherman's army was able to move rapidly and seize the city of Savannah in just a month. The Confederacy was unable to effectively counter Sherman's campaign, as its forces were spread too thin and its resources were far too limited. Sherman's march to the sea had a significant impact on the outcome of the Civil War. By severing the Confederacy supply line and destroying its infrastructure, Sherman effectively cut off the Confederacy from the outside world and weakened its ability to continue fighting. The campaign also contributed to the demoralization of the citizens in the South, who were forced to endure the destruction of their homes, the burning of their crops, and ultimately, the destruction of their livelihood. The impact of total war on civilians was devastating. Many civilians were left homeless without food or supplies, and the destruction of property and infrastructure made it difficult for them to rebuild in the aftermath of the war. The use of total war also contributed to the high number of civilian casualties during the Civil War. The American Civil War came to an end on April 9, 1865, when Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered his army to Union General Ulysses S. Grant at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. This marked the formal end of the war, although some fighting continued in other parts of the Confederacy for several more weeks. The surrender at Appomattox was a significant moment in American history as it brought an end to the bloodiest conflict in the nation's history. It also marked the beginning of the process of rebuilding and reunifying the country in the aftermath of the war. After the surrender, Grant and his officers allowed Lee's soldiers to return home with their horses and mules as long as they agreed to lay down their weapons and take an oath of allegiance to the United States. This lenient treatment was seen as an effort to promote reconciliation between the North and the South and it set a tone of conciliation for the years to come. In the aftermath of the war, there was a significant effort to rebuild the South and reintegrate former Confederates into American society. This process, known as Reconstruction, was marked by significant political, social, and economic challenges. And changes. The South was forced to undergo a period of radical reform, with the federal government taking an active role in promoting civil rights and protecting the rights of African Americans. The end of the Civil War was a pivotal moment in American history, marking the beginning of a new era of reconstruction and rebuilding. While the legacy of the war and its aftermath continued to shape the nation for years to come, the end of the conflict represented a critical moment of transition and change of this time period in American's history. With all that being said, let's get into some of the spooky shit surrounding the Civil War. The Battle of Antietam was a major engagement of the American Civil War, fought on September 17, 1862 near the town of Sharpsburg, Maryland. It was the first major battle of the war to take place on northern soil and remains the bloodiest single day of battle in American history. It had a total of approximately 23,000 casualties. The battle was fought between the Confederate Army of Northern Virginia, commanded by Robert E. Lee, and the Union Army of the Potomac, commanded by George McClellan. Confederate Army was outnumbered with about 40,000 troops compared to the Union 75,000. The fighting began early in the morning, and soon the Union troops pushed the Confederates back to a sunken road that came to be known as Bloody Lane. The road sat lower than the surrounding terrain, making it a natural defensive position, and the Confederates were able to use it to their advantage. For several hours, the Union troops attempted to break through the Confederate line, but they were met with heavy fire from behind the cover of the sunken road. The fighting was so intense that the road became clogged with bodies, earning it the name 
Bloody Lane. Finally in the afternoon, Union troops were able to outflank the Confederates and attack them from the rear. This combined with the arrival of fresh Union troops caused the Confederates to retreat. The battle ended in a tactical stalemate, but it was a strategic victory for the Union as it forced Lee to retreat back to Virginia. The Battle of Antietam was a turning point in the Civil War. It prevented Lee from achieving his goal of invading the North, and it gave President Abraham Lincoln the opportunity to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, which declared that all slaves in Confederate-held territory were to be freed. Bloody Lane, with its harrowing history, became a famous landmark of the battle and a testament to the bravery and sacrifice of the soldiers who fought there. Today, it's preserved as part of the Antietam National Battlefield, a national park that serves as a memorial to those who fought and died in one of the most pivotal moments in American history. And it's said that on certain nights, if you stand on the side of Bloody Lane at Antietam National Battlefield, you can still hear the anguished cries of the soldiers who died there over 150 years ago. On one such night, a group of thrill-seekers decided to test the legend for themselves. They arrived at the park after dark, armed with flashlights and a thirst for adventure. They made their way down the dark path to Bloody Lane, feeling the weight of history surrounding them. As they walked, the air grew colder and their flashlights flickered. They could hear the distant sound of drums and gunshots and the unmistakable moans and screams of wounded soldiers. Suddenly, the group heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps approaching. They turned their flashlights toward the sounds and saw a lone figure walking towards them down the middle of the road. The figure was dressed in tattered, blood-stained clothing and had a gaping wound in his chest. The group froze in fear as the figure approached them, its eyes fixed on them with an otherworldly intensity. Without warning, the figure let out a blood-curdling scream, and the group fled in terror. They ran back down towards the path, but the footsteps pursued them, getting closer and closer with each passing moment. Just as they thought they would be caught, the footsteps suddenly stopped, and the group found themselves alone in the dark. The legend of Bloody Lane lives on, and those brave enough to test it often leave with a newfound respect for the soldiers who gave their lives at the Battle of Antietam. But for those who dare to venture there on certain nights, the screams of the dead still echo through the darkness, a reminder of the horrors of war that took place on that fateful day. Burnside's Bridge is also located at Antietam's National Battlefield in Maryland. It's said to be haunted by the ghosts of soldiers who died there. During the battle, Confederate soldiers under General Lee were defending the bridge while Union troops under General Burnside were attempting to take it. The fighting was intense and both sides suffered heavy losses. Today, visitors to the site report seeing and hearing the ghosts of soldiers who fought and died there. Some have reported seeing the ghostly apparitions of soldiers marching across the bridge while others have heard the sound of ghostly gunfire and the screams of wounded soldiers. One popular ghost story is that of a wounded Confederate soldier who was left behind by his retreating comrades. According to legend, the soldier was shot in the leg and left to die under the bridge. Visitors to the bridge have reported seeing his ghostly figure crawling across the ground, searching for help. Another popular story is that of a Union soldier who was killed during the battle. Visitors claim to see his ghostly figure standing guard on the bridge, his eyes fixed on the surrounding area. 
In addition to the soldier ghosts, visitors to Burnside's Bridge have also reported feeling a heavy sense of sadness and despair, as if the spirits of the dead soldiers still linger in the area. While the stories of the ghosts that haunt Burnside's Bridge may be unsettling, they serve as a powerful reminder of the sacrifices made by the soldiers who fought and died there. The battlefield remains a memorial to their bravery and a place of reflection for those who come to pay their respects. Inevitably, with war and death comes injury and suffering, so as you might imagine, Civil War hospitals saw their fair share of carnage as well. One of the most notorious was a makeshift hospital set up in a building called the Pry House, which is now said to be haunted by the ghosts of soldiers who died there. The Pry House was used as a hospital for both Union and Confederate soldiers during the Battle of Antietam. The building was quickly overwhelmed by the sheer number of wounded soldiers, and makeshift operating rooms were set up in the upstairs bedrooms. It is said that the ghosts of soldiers who died in the Pry House still haunt the building to this day. Visitors have reported seeing ghostly apparitions of soldiers walking the halls, while others have heard the sounds of moaning and screaming, as if the wounded soldiers are still suffering in agony. One particularly chilling story involves a ghostly soldier who is said to appear in a mirror on the second floor of the Pry House. According to legend, the soldier, who was badly injured and died in one of the upstairs bedrooms. Visitors to the house have reported seeing his ghostly reflection staring back at them from the mirror, as if he is still trapped in the room where he died. The hospital at Pry House was a place of immense suffering and tragedy, and it is said that the spirits of the soldiers who died there still linger in the building, unable to find peace. Despite its haunting reputation, Pry House remains an important historical site, serving as a reminder of the sacrifices made by the soldiers who fought and died during Antietam. While Antietam was the bloodiest single day of combat in the war, it by no means is the most infamous battle. It's impossible to talk about the Civil War without mentioning the Battle of Gettysburg, which was fought from July 1st through 3rd, 1863. It was one of the largest and bloodiest battles of the war and marked a turning point in the conflict. The battle began on July 1st when Confederate General Robert E. Lee launched an attack on Union forces under George Meade. The fighting was intense and both sides suffered heavy losses. By the end of the first day, the Union forces had been pushed back to Cemetery Hill, south of the town of Gettysburg. On July the 2nd, Confederate General James Longstreet's corps attacked the Union left flank, and one of the most significant actions occurred at Devil's Den. Union sharpshooters took positions among the rocks and engaged the Confederates in fierce fighting. For hours, the two sides exchanged fire, with both sides suffering heavy casualties. The fighting was absolutely brutal, and it was hand-to-hand -hand oftentimes, as the Confederate soldiers climbed the rocks and the Union soldiers fired down upon them. Ultimately, the Confederate forces were able to dislodge the Union soldiers from Devil's Den, but only after a brutal and deadly struggle. The area around the rocks was littered with the bodies of the dead and wounded, and it was said that the rocks themselves were stained with blood. The Battle of Gettysburg resulted in over 50,000 casualties, making it one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War. 
The Union forces emerged victorious technically, and the Confederate Army was forced to retreat back to Virginia. Today, Devil's Den is a major attraction for both tourists and ghost hunters alike, many of whom often bring cameras and recording devices in an attempt to capture some of its ghostly charm. However, such equipment is reported to malfunction or completely shut down. Visitors will often experience their cameras or cell phones glitching out when trying to take a picture. The same is said for paranormal investigators. When attempting to conduct research, their equipment will simply cease to function. Strangely enough, though, when they move away from Devil's Den and the Gettysburg battlefield as a whole, their devices will miraculously begin working again. There are several different reports of ghostly apparitions appearing right in front of tourists, but as soon as they try to take their picture, their devices flicker and die. Devil's Den has been the source of many otherworldly encounters for quite some time. One compelling tale comes from a Harrisburg Telegraph article dating back to 1939. It tells the story of a man driving along in his car when he noticed two uniformed soldiers carrying rifles and walking on the side of the road. The man pulled over to them and noticed that their uniforms seemed to be quite old. The fellow asked the two men if they needed help, and they replied that their friend was injured and indeed needed assistance. The soldiers prompted the man to follow them to a nearby tree, which was propping up another one of these uniformed soldiers, this one dying from a severe chest wound. Panicked, the man said that he'd get help, and he frantically drove up to the nearest gas station. Upon telling the cashier what he had just witnessed, he was told not to bother, and that the soldiers wouldn't be there when he returned. Apparently, this was happening to many folks who were passing by the area back then. Another tale from many years ago involves a couple of hunters who allegedly got lost near Devil's Den. While searching for their way out, they saw an apparition standing on one of the largest boulders. The figure began pointing to one specific area that, lo and behold, wound up being the way out that the men were trying to find. When the men turned around to thank the person, he had vanished into thin air. Throughout the years, a shoeless entity has been known to approach tourists with helpful advice as to where they need to go. Thought to be the spirit of a Confederate Texas soldier, this ghost has been captured in photographs going as far back as the 1970s. He's even shown up in pictures that didn't detect him when they were initially snapped. In a story that appears to validate the shoeless ghost, a woman had one day got, gotten lost as she was traversing the rock-laden land. She began nervously looking for a way out, just as the hunters from years earlier had done all those years prior. Without warning, a man appeared, pointed off into the distance and said, what you're looking for is over there. And then, just like that, he vanished. The woman later told park rangers what had happened, and when they asked what the man looked like, they could hardly believe what they were hearing. Unbeknownst to the woman, she had just described in perfect detail what a Confederate soldier would have looked like during the Battle of Gettysburg. Not to be confused with the famous Marvel comic character, a poltergeist known as the Ghost Rider is known to wander near the den as well. He will materialize instantaneously, accompanied by the sounds of gunfire and shouting. He will then vanish as quickly as he appeared, leaving no clues to his true identity. Another chilling story comes from a young woman who was climbing the rocks with her friend. As she rounded one of the large boulders, a hand reached up from a fissure and grabbed her by the ankle. Looking down, she saw a young man in a Civil War-era uniform. Screaming, she looked up for her friend, but just as quickly as she yelled for help, 
the entity had disappeared. Scouring the area, no one was around who even remotely fit the description of who she saw. Well preserved throughout the years, Devil's Den remains a top tourist attraction. Its stunning rock formations have long been a point of interest, garnering attention from people of all walks of life. Geologists come to appreciate the natural structures, just as ghost hunters come for its paranormal qualities. While it was referred to as Devil's Den long before the American Civil War and the Battle of Gettysburg, the death that occurred there has only served to cement its name as an area not to be taken lightly. But one of the best stories I found, of course, was from one of the battlefield hospitals. And it goes, it goes a little something like this. It was a hot and humid day in July of 1863 and the Battle of Gettysburg was raging on. Union soldiers had engaged Confederate troops in a fierce battle and the field was littered with the bodies of the dead and dying. One Union soldier, his name lost to history, had been badly wounded in the fighting and was left for dead on the battlefield. But as night fell and the sounds of battle died down, he managed to crawl to a nearby barn, hoping to find shelter and safety. As he entered the barn, he saw that it was filled with the bodies of dead soldiers, piled high in the corners and against the walls. He tried to find a spot to rest, but the stench of death and decay was overpowering. Exhausted and weak from his wounds, he collapsed onto a pile of the bodies. He had no more strength and could no longer force himself to try to crawl to safety. But as he lay there, fading in and out of consciousness, the orderlies from the makeshift hospital began to come in with wheelbarrows full of corpses and amputated limbs. With grim determination, they dumped their grisly cargo wherever they could inside the barn, unbeknownst to them that they were dumping them on a semi-conscious Union private. Fading in and out of consciousness and terrified, he tried to move, but he was too weak to push himself out from under the pile. The orderlies continued to dump corpses on the pile, and he felt himself sinking deeper into the mass of dead soldiers. He faded from consciousness, crushed and buried alive under the weight of the dead. He attempted to scream and cry out for help, but there was nobody alive to hear him. Days passed by, and he lay there, trapped and helpless, slowly suffocating under the weight of the bodies. He could hear the sound of rats and other vermin feeding on the dead, and he felt their sharp teeth nibbling at his flesh. As his strength ebbed away, he knew that he was going to die, buried alive and forgotten in the barn. And even after the war was over and the bodies were cleared away, his ghost remained trapped in the barn, haunting the dark corners and seeking revenge against the living. To this day, visitors of the barn have reported hearing strange noises and feeling a cold, clammy presence in the air. And some say that on quiet nights, they can still hear the screams and moans of a Union soldier buried alive under a pile of bodies in the haunted barn. So while the horrors of war are without a doubt disturbing, battlefields are by no means the only places that are said to be haunted. Both the Union and the Confederate armies operated prison camps to hold captured enemy soldiers. These camps were often overcrowded, undersupplied, and plagued by disease, resulting in high mortality rates and terrible living conditions for the prisoners. The most notorious of these prison camps was by far Andersonville, a Confederate camp in Georgia that held over 45,000 Union prisoners between February 1864 and April 1865. 
The camp was intended to hold 10,000 prisoners, but as the war dragged on and more and more soldiers were captured, the population swelled to almost five times its capacity. Conditions at Andersonville were horrific. The prisoners were crowded together in open-air barracks and provided with little food, water, or shelter. Sanitation was almost non-existent, and the camp became infested with vermin and disease. Many prisoners died from malnutrition, exposure, and disease, and their bodies were left to rot in the hot Georgia sun. The horrors of Andersonville prison camp are well known, but they are, there are some tales that speak of even darker and more sinister events that occurred within its walls. One story tells of a group of Union soldiers who were caught attempting to escape from Andersonville. As punishment, they were dragged to a remote corner of the camp and thrown into a small, dark pit, barely large enough for them to move. As the days turned into weeks, the prisoners huddled together in the darkness, slowly losing their grip on sanity. Hunger, thirst, and the lack of fresh air began to take its toll, and soon the men began to turn on one another, fighting over scraps of food and water. But then something strange began to happen. In the darkness, the men heard whispering voices beckoning to them, urging them to do unspeakable things. Some of the soldiers became possessed by these voices, and they turned on their fellow prisoners with a ferocity that horrified even the guards. The guards soon realized that something was amiss, and they decided to investigate the pit. But when they lifted the wood planks that covered the entrance, they found nothing but a pile of bones and a sickly, foul odor that seemed to cling to the air. To this day, visitors to Andersonville Prison Camp report feeling a sense of unease and dread in the area where the pit once stood. Some say that they have seen shadowy figures moving in the darkness, and others claim to have heard the whispering voices of the long-dead soldiers still trapped in that accursed pit. Whether these tales are true or not, they serve as a grim reminder of the atrocities that occurred within the walls of Andersonville Prison Camp and the human toll of war. Union prisoners were not the only ones who suffered in the Civil War prison camps. Confederate prisoners held in Union camps faced very similar conditions, especially at Camp Douglas in Chicago and Point Lookout in Maryland. Here's a fairly creepy story that I found about Camp Douglas that you guys might enjoy. Camp Douglas in Chicago was notorious for its harsh conditions and mistreatment of Confederate prisoners, but there is a story that goes beyond the already horrific reality of the camp. According to legend, one Confederate prisoner was tortured so severely that his spirit still haunts the grounds of Camp Douglas to this day. The prisoner, whose name has been lost to history, was accused of attempting to escape the camp. As punishment, the camp commandant ordered him to be tied to a post and beaten mercilessly with a whip. The beating was so brutal that the prisoner ended up dying from his injuries, but instead of burying his body, the camp commandant ordered it to be left out in the open as a warning to other prisoners who would try to run. The body was eventually consumed by scavenging animals and reduced to nothing but bones, but even in death, the prisoner's spirit refused to rest. Visitors to Camp Douglas reported seeing a ghostly figure wandering the grounds, covered in whip marks and moaning in pain. Some claim to have heard the sound of a whip cracking in the distance, as if the brutal punishment was still being inflicted on the prisoner's spirit. Camp Douglas was eventually closed down after the war, but the stories of the tortured Confederate soldiers' ghosts continue to be told to this day. 
Whether or not the ghostly figure is real, it serves as a grim reminder of the horrors that occurred within the walls of Civil War prison camps and the long-lasting trauma they inflicted on those who survived them. By the end of the war, over 56,000 prisoners had died in the prison camps, making up almost 10% of the total casualties of the war. The legacy of these prison camps continues to haunt the memory of the Civil War, reminding us of the human cost of the war and the need to treat prisoners with dignity and respect, even in times of conflict. Whenever a war is being fought, it's never only the military that suffers. The Civil War left many children orphaned, either because their parents died in battle or because they were unable to care for them due to the hardships of the war. The issue of how to care for these orphaned children became a major concern for both the Union and the Confederate governments. The Union government created the United States Sanitary Commission, which was a volunteer organization dedicated to providing medical and humanitarian aid to Union soldiers and their families. This commission also established orphanages and homes for children who had lost their parents in the war. The Confederate government, on the other hand, had fewer resources and was not able to provide the same level of care for orphaned children. Many Confederate orphans were left to fend for themselves, relying on family and friends for support or, in a lot of cases, being, being press-ganged into the war effort. This war was fought by a lot of young people, like all wars are fought by young people, obviously, but extremely young children fought in this war. So after the war, many organizations and individuals stepped up to help care for the orphans of both the Union and the Confederacy. The American Orphan Asylum, for example, was established in New York City to provide a home for Union orphans, while the Confederate Women's Home in Richmond, Virginia, provided shelter for Confederate orphans. Despite the effort of these organizations, however, many Civil War orphans continued to struggle. Some were forced to work at a young age, while others were sent to live with distant relatives or put up for adoption. Many suffered from poverty, illness, and other hardships for years after the war ended. One such orphanage that sprung up during the war was a place called the Soldier's Orphanage. It was once a happy homestead. The Soldier's Orphanage was even visited by General Grant in a campaign to drum up donations in support of it. However, after its first headmistress was replaced, the facility promptly turned a darker cheek. A woman named Rosa Carmichael soon took over the operations of the orphanage. She was known for her wicked and cruel disciplinarian punishments. She even went as far as utilizing the home's basement as a dungeon. The dungeon, also known as the pit, was used to discipline unruly children, and its checkered history has led to its notorious reputation and ghostly lore. It's reported that Carmichael went as far as to chain children up that were in her care to the walls of the basement. It's harrowing to think of what else she did behind closed doors in order to keep the facility running and dish out discipline that she thought the children deserved. Over the years, visitors to the abandoned building have reported seeing ghostly apparitions of children and hearing the sound of children's laughter and footsteps. Some have even reported feeling the touch of small hands on their backs or legs. One of the most famous stories involves a group of paranormal investigators who spent the night at the orphanage, and they reported seeing a ghostly figure of a woman in white wandering the halls and a small boy playing with a ball in the basement. 
Many believe that the spirits of the children who once lived in the orphanage still linger in the building, unable to leave the place they called home for so many years. The Soldiers' or Orphanage is now privately owned, and while it's not open to the public, it remains a popular destination for paranormal investigators and ghost hunters who hope to catch a glimpse of the ghostly children who are said to inhabit the building. So after four long years, the Civil War ended on April 9, 1865, when General Lee, commander of the Confederate Army of Virginia, surrendered to General Grant, commander of the Grand Army of the Potomac, at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. After four years of bloody conflict, the surrender at Appomattox marked the beginning of the end of the Civil War. Over the next few months, other Confederate armies surrendered, and the remaining Confederate forces were gradually disbanded over time. In May of 1865, the Union Army held a grand review in Washington, D.C., with thousands of troops marching down Pennsylvania Avenue to cheering crowds. The Confederate soldiers were allowed to return to their homes with their personal belongings, and officers were even allowed to keep their sidearms. The end of the Civil War marked a new era for the United States, but it was also a time of great challenges. The country had to come to terms with the devastation and the loss caused by the war, and it had to find a way to rebuild and reunify after years of conflict. The process of Reconstruction, which aimed to rebuild the South and integrate newly freed slaves into society, would prove to be a long and difficult one, marked by violence and political turmoil. President Abraham Lincoln, who had been re-elected in 1864, was assassinated just five days after Lee's surrender on April 14, 1865. Lincoln was attending a performance of the play Our American Cousin at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. when he was shot in the back of the head by John Wilkes Booth, a well-known actor and Confederate sympathizer. After shooting Lincoln, Booth jumped onto the stage and shouted, Sic Semper Tyrannis, which means, Thus always to tyrants and fled the theater. Lincoln was carried across the street to a boarding house where he died the next morning on April 15, 1865. Booth was pursued by Union troops and eventually cornered in a barn in Virginia. When he refused to surrender, the barn was set on fire and Booth was shot and killed. The assassination of Lincoln was a devastating blow to the country, which had just emerged from a long and bloody civil war, as you know. Lincoln had played a critical war in guiding the Union through the war and was widely respected and beloved by many Americans. His death plunged the country into a state of shock and mourning, and it had long-lasting effects on American politics and society. Legend has it that the ghost of Abraham Lincoln still haunts the White House, where he lived during his presidency, in the city where he ultimately met his tragic end. One night, a White House staffer was working late, when he heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps coming down the hall. When he turned to see who was there, he saw a tall figure in a stovepipe hat, dressed in a black suit. The staffer, of course, was startled, but he assumed it was a Secret Service agent on duty and thought nothing of it. But as the figure got closer, the staffer realized with horror that it was the ghost of Abraham Lincoln himself. The ghostly figure walked right past him without so much as a glance and disappeared into the walls. The staffer was shaken by the encounter and immediately reported it to his superiors. They told him that he was not the first to have seen Lincoln's ghost and that many others had reported similar sightings over the years. Some say that Lincoln's ghost appears when the country is facing a crisis or a moment of great significance. 
Others believe that he is simply restless and unable to find peace, given the violent end of his life. Regardless of the reason, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln remains a fixture in the White House lore, and his ghostly presence continues to spook those who dare work late into the night. Legend also says that the ghost of Abraham Lincoln still haunts Ford's Theater, where he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. One night, a security guard was making his rounds at the theater when he heard a strange noise coming from the balcony. When he looked up, he saw the figure of a man sitting in the presidential box, watching the stage intently. The guard was startled, as he knew that the presidential box had been closed to the public since Lincoln's assassination. But when he shone his flashlight on the figure, he realized with horror that it was the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. The guard tried to approach the box, but the ghostly figure simply vanished into thin air. The guard was so shaken by his encounter that he immediately quit his job and never returned to the theater again. Others have reported similar sightings of Lincoln's ghost at Ford's theater over the years. Some have seen him sitting in the presidential box watching the stage with a somber expression. Others have seen him walking the halls of the theater or heard his ghostly footsteps echoing through the empty building late at night. Some say that Lincoln's ghost haunts the theater because it was the site of his tragic end, and that he is still searching for answers or seeking some kind of closure. Others believe that he simply loves the theater and can't bear to leave it behind. Regardless of the reasons, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln remains a haunting presence at Ford's Theater, a reminder of the tragedy and loss that shook the nation so many years ago. Alright guys, that is it for today's episode. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Enjoy it. Hope you're doing something fun. And if you guys get a chance, please be sure to check out the other shows on the network. Be sure to check out Scary Jerry and his two shows, Demented Darkness and Dark Side of the Nerd. He just cranked out a Jerry Springer episode on Dark Side of the Nerd, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was very good. As with all of his shows, it's very entertaining, very enjoyable. And please be sure to check out Foxhound43 on Rumble, who does live playthroughs of games, streaming. He has a great sense of humor. So be sure to jump onto his live streams and fuck with him. Tell him that I sent you, please. He'll appreciate it. He's a good sport. And if you guys would like to check out the merch store, you can do so by going to aohpmerch.com. You guys have been asking for it asking for it for a while, and I finally did it. So be sure to check out the merch store, aohpmerch.com. And of course, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so by going to Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. Thank you guys very much for listening, and until next time, stay spooky.
There's a gray horse standing still As a soldier climbs in the saddle for one last ride As the rain pours off his hat You can see the shadows of the past written in his eyes Now the cannons are silent His friends are all gone Gotta put it all behind him If he ever wants to find his way Oh, Dad.